Amen. Isn't that worship amazing? Just getting in God's presence, I'll, I'll do one of these. There we go. Whether you're here in person or online with us, uh, we are just so thankful for how God is working and that you chose to be with us today. That video you just watched, We Are One, uh, gives a picture that is so real and so important for us to get that when we are invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when he says, hey, come follow me, he places us in a body, a body that is his, that is local and global. It's, it's beyond one church. It partners and works with other ministries. And, and one of the ministries that, that Pathway has the joy of both starting uh, years ago and birthing, but also continuing to part with is Master's Academy, uh, a ministry uh, that is here on site and on the grounds. And I just want to uh, remind us that when we say we're one, that's a part of it. In the last two weeks, we have been so blessed to hear from our headmaster, Dr. Smith. Amen? It is such a blessing to be able to know that, that God is working in both spaces. And I just want to, again, Dr. Smith did a great job bringing the word the last couple of weeks. Amen? As we get into this today, there is also this reality, both God is moving through the school, God is moving in the next generation, and that is something that is, is got to be part of our heart, right, is that our faith would be handed from one generation to another. This past week, Passion Camp happened, more than 50 people, uh, about 40 or so of our students and some crazy adult leaders uh, actually went to Passion Camp in Daytona Beach. Here's the group, isn't this cool? This is a part of your body, right? This is the body of Christ and this next picture shows you they know how to have fun. That's on the charter bus. And again, in that environment, look at what they were a part of. This next picture, uh, if you can see this, that is 4,500 students worshiping God, growing in the body of Christ from many, many different churches. And we had at least three from our group that received Jesus. Amen? So it is a great time to be a part of what God is doing. And today... We're in Ephesians chapter four. I'm continuing our series. We'll pick up in verse seven uh, here in a couple of minutes. As we do that, the, the title today, the big idea is growing up, uh, growing up. And, you know, for you, when you think about the next generation, can you remember those days of what it was like thinking about your future, thinking about what it would be like to someday be grown up? And, and the reality is some of us are, are old enough to be grown up. But we may not actually be as grown up as we think. Dun, dun, dun. There's a difference between age and maturity, right? And, and I want to just show you, I had fun this week. Uh, my daughter was up in Michigan uh, a couple weeks ago and was at my parents' house. She snapped a picture of me from 25 years ago. You want to see it? It's on the left. Uh, and this is me in 1996 in my varsity letter jacket. Uh, and this is me in my same varsity letter jacket. I still fit it, you guys. <sighs> I fill it out a little different, but I still fit it. Uh, this is me this week, 25 years between the picture on the left and the picture on the right. Now, here's, as we look at that and think about that, you have your own story, whatever age you are, right? If you're younger, maybe it's a five-year or a 10-year. If you're older, maybe it's 50 years between pictures, 
But, but if somebody would have told me at that age, at, at you know, 17 years old or so, hey, here's what your life is gonna look like. Here's what it's gonna mean for you to grow up. I would have ran. Because the reality is life is something that when we follow God, God grows us up through all the ups and downs. He grows us up through challenges. He grows us up through victories. He grows us up in ways that are completely different than we would have anticipated or expected. But when he does that, it's because he has a purpose. Each of us, if we have air in our lungs, have a purpose. God has a purpose. And part of you growing up is walking into that purpose. And so let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm actually going to start in verse 4 and 6, so tech team, don't freak out. Um, We'll pick up in verse 7. But verses 4 through 6, you heard last week an incredible message. And here's, here's what Paul says. He says, there is one body, say one, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So it's so important to understand that, that if we're going to grow up, we have to recognize that God is one, that our faith and who Jesus is and what he's called us to be a part of in the body, that it is about this oneness with him and this oneness with each other, this unity. Said there in verse 5 that there's one Lord. Verse 7, it picks up. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who had descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Say all things, will you? We have a God that has sent his son Jesus who is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Let me say it again because it's not a popular phrase or ideology in today's world. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the whole reason that we show up. And and for Jesus to be Lord of all means, as Paul is saying here, that, that he actually did something about our problem here on earth. That, that he actually saw us and knew that we would be separated from him forever, stuck in our immaturity, and actually Jesus did something about that for us. Paul uses some interesting language there in verse 8. It's actually a reference to Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68, verse 18 says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train." And receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Paul is referencing that in Ephesians 4 because he knew that back in the Old Testament, when this psalmist penned that in Psalm 68, verse 18, that they were prophesying of this coming king, this this King Jesus who would be Lord of all, who would be the one that would lead the captives, it says, in victory. That, That you and I would be held captive by Jesus who is our Lord and he would lead us in victory. Now, for some of us, we're going, maybe asking the question, well, 
what do you mean? My life is pretty good. My life is okay. I, I don't necessarily understand, or maybe for you, you don't understand, how do I communicate this to other people? If Jesus is Lord and he ascended, then he also descended into the earth. Why did he do that? Why did he come and, and give of himself the way he did? Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Genesis chapter 3. I want to take us back to the beginning. The word Genesis actually means beginnings. And, and in Genesis chapter 3, these first few verses, we hear a narrative, a story uh, that is coming just after the creation of all things. God has created. It said uh, at the end of chapter 2 that, in fact, as he created male and female, he gave us a day of rest. And, and as he rested and creation rested, something started to go wrong as we pick up the story in chapter 3. In fact, what went wrong then is what continues to go wrong today. That, that holds back our maturity, holds back our growth in the very things that God designed us for. Let's take a look at it, picking up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan, represented in this by a snake, is speaking to Eve and is beginning to invite Eve to do something against what God had for them, to rebel. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Now, i got to set that up a little better, right? What? Wait, what? There was no sin. They didn't think the way we think. And that moment is their eyes are open to good and evil. They realize that, that clothing had not been necessary, yet now we realize we're naked, we're open, we're vulnerable, we're ashamed. It says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid by myself. God said, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? This story is the entry of sin into our world. Sin is taken from an archery term, meaning to miss the mark, to miss the mark of God's intent, to fall short of his holiness and his glory. As Adam and Eve partook of this tree, they became aware of good and evil, and because of free will, they now could choose evil, and every human after them was born in with a sin nature. We can try to be as good as we want to be. But ultimately, we're just like Adam and Eve. 
disconnected from God, disconnected from each other. That, that in fact, what this shows here is that they took it into their own hands. They actually took fig leaves and tried to make some clothing, tried to clothe themselves in their shame and in their disconnection. They disconnected themselves further. Did you catch that it said they were hiding from God? You see, that's what shame does. That's what guilt does, is it disconnects us and causes us to take things into our own hands and to continue to try to make a sense of it ourselves. Many of us and many in our world are so disconnected from God and one another because of sin that we're hiding in shame, we're hiding and disconnected. The Hebrew word actually for shame means disconnection. That, that actually you and I, when we're living in shame and we're hiding and we're afraid and we're not sure, is God safe? Is he love me? Is he for me? How do I have victory over these things that keep plaguing me? How do I have victory? Maybe not just between you and God, but you and others. Anybody else have some problems, some dysfunction with other human beings? <laughs> then you're the one they're talking about. I mean, it's real, right? And, and the reality is, in that, that disconnect, when Paul says that, that Jesus descended, he descended to reconnect us, to reconnect us to him and to one another, that the victory is over sin and death and suffering. In fact, the rest of scripture leading up to Jesus all continues to show the results of disconnection and sin. When we try to take things into our own hands, when we think that we know better than God, which is what Satan was tricking them with the lie, that he knew better and you'll know better. That in fact, isn't that part of what the enemy tries to do? Hey, you know better than God. You have a better plan than God. When I was growing up, that picture you saw, there was three lies, I was thinking about this this week, that I believed in that time that, that I think are really common in today's culture. These were the three common cultural lies that I believed then and I believe are still prevalent today. The first is this, that I have a better plan than God's plan, that in fact I know better than God. Now, you may not say it that way, especially in church. But when we act like the Lord, when we take control and we don't listen to the Lord, that's what we're saying. Secondly is that life is all about me. That life ultimately is about me and my plans, my desires. In fact, our culture takes it further that my self-fulfillment is the goal. That me fulfilling self and becoming all that I can be is the goal. And I wanna show you today that none of those three are true. And we're going to see some victory today because of that. So back into the text and what we're seeing here is this disconnection. Paul is saying that, that there's a victor that descended. Listen to how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 2 about this very thing. Talking about Jesus, he says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So Jesus came fully God, but fully man in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Why did he die on that cross? I'm going to pause right there. Because you and I are sinners, and he is not. Because he's holy, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, his death, his blood that was shed, is the atoning sacrifice and covering for our sins. You see, we'd be caught in a cycle of needing continual sacrifices if it wasn't for what the sinless Son of God did for us. So he dies on the cross. He's then resurrected. It says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. We live in a world that loves to elevate man's name, human's name. And what this is saying is that there is a name above any name here on earth. And that name is Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess. And when we begin to confess Now, we begin to see breakthrough, we begin to see growth, we begin to see Jesus moving in our lives and through his body. Paul was writing this to a church in Ephesus that was facing division, facing pluralism, facing all of these cultural issues. And yet he's saying, listen, in the middle of that, there is a victor. Don't get discouraged by what you're seeing out there, there is a victor And that victor is Jesus, and he is Lord. Church, can I get an amen? Amen. That this is who our God is. So he goes on, because it it isn't just that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and it said he gave gifts to men. And this is what is amazing when we begin to realize that our identity is being reshaped by by Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, he has gifts that he wants to give to us. Gifts that are not meant just for us, but meant to make a difference in the world. And I gotta tell you, this is actually one of my favorite passages in all of scripture about the church. I absolutely love this text. I could go for hours today, are you ready? Cancel your lunch plans, we're having church. Verse 11. Check out what it says here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus gives gifts, it teaches us here, to all of his children. In fact, right now, tell your neighbor, I have a gift. Tell your other neighbor, you have a gift. If you're online, drop the gift emoji so our host knows you're there. Jesus has gifts for all of his children. And you may look around and say, well, I don't have the gifts they have. That's right. You might be the right hand, and if the left hand isn't functioning, we need that left, that gift. We need each other. And he's saying that some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. This, these five gifts here these, that function in the church, let me just tell you quickly about them. If you're taking notes, it's important that you write down not just these gifts, but in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you need to look at some of the other gifts that are later talked about in the body. 
Because all of these are a part of what it means to be a healthy body that is growing up and the victory that Christ calls us to. Because his gifts are for all of his children. So an apostle and a prophet, those two are important to distinguish between an apostle and a prophet in the Old Testament or New Testament times. We would call that like a a big A apostle, big P. This is me capitalizing if you were wondering. Okay, I don't, I realized as I did it, it didn't translate. Um, (laughs) uh, Big A, big P, that means they were with Jesus or were within the biblical times. Those apostles, those prophets laid the foundation for the church. There's still today the gift of apostleship, little a, and a gift of prophecy, little p. And what those do, apostles, are messengers sent to take new territory. And and if you look at our world, we need to take some new territory for the kingdom, okay? Prophets also, in today's age, it doesn't speak with the authority necessarily that's in the word. The word is the word, and we submit to the word, amen? Amen. But, But the gift of prophecy is a gift that still says, this is what I believe God's saying about the future, And church, here's some areas where we need to get our stuff together. That maybe there's some areas. Prophets often don't have a popular message because it often comes with a sense of rebuke, a sense of correction. Later in scripture, I just feel led to say this, it teaches us that we'll, in the last days, be lovers of ourselves and we'll often turn to what our itching ears please. You ever changed podcasts or a sermon multiple times until you found one you liked? Maybe sometimes we need to hear some things that we don't necessarily like, but it's exactly what will help us grow. Okay. Evangelists share the good news. Evangelists share the gospel in the good news. Uh, We need evangelists operating. All of us are responsible, though, to share the good news. There's also pastors that have the shepherding role within the church to help guide and shepherd the flock. And there's teachers that teach God's word. These are the gifts that are here. And did you notice in verse 12 what they're for? They're for the equipping of the body to do the work. Meaning, the body doesn't just sit and spectate and consume. We actually are here to encourage to equip and to empower you in your gifts to live out what God has called you to. Church, that's exciting. It means that God has something for you when you leave here. He wants to use your gifts. He wants to use you to make a difference. And the interesting thing about this is in the modern church, we often miss it because of our rugged independence, because of living in isolation, And it doesn't work in the church. We cannot grow if we're not connected with God and with one another. John Calvin said it this way. He said, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. That we need one another. That part of growing up is realizing that in community and with God, we are better and we grow more. You see, these gifts that God is is articulating through Paul here, they're not toys, they're tools. 
They're, they're not something that's for me to play with and to, to be like, look at what God gave me. Like, I've got this gift. What gift do you have? And it's about me and in my enjoyment. No. Those gifts are tools that God wants to use to build up his body. That his body wouldn't be weak and immature, but would be strong and would reflect the goodness of who our God is. Your gifts have a place and a purpose in the body of Christ. But for some of us, it's like if you think of like a kitchen, and you've got a kitchen filled with appliances, right? And those appliances, until you turn them on, have no power. Or if the power goes out, they don't work, right? And it's almost like God looks at his church and is like, I have given you these gifts. You're my tools, and I have this power I want to give to you, but will you open up to it? Will you see the gate and the doorway that I've opened for you? Let me just show you kind of a funny uh, TikTok video I came across Uh, It's a social media app for those that don't know. I don't recommend it, but it is fun at times. Uh, And so here is actually something I came across that I thought is a great visual illustration of how oftentimes we're operating with this concept. Let me show you. All right, play it one more time. For those that were caught up in the music, is that from Titanic? Does it connect with you? How often we're looking through and saying, I I see how God's using their gift, I see what they're doing, but I don't realize what he's saying is, hey, would you, would you just see that the door is open? The door is open because these gifts are meant to operate with God and with each other in community. And when we dis- realize that, there's a power that comes with these gifts. It's like the light switch goes on and suddenly you have greater fulfillment, greater excitement, a greater uh, reality of your own life. Because you're experiencing why God placed you here. Jesus is Lord and he gives gifts to all of his children. One of the things that we're doing around here at Pathway is articulating uh, our pathway. What does it mean to be a disciple here at Pathway? Here's, here's just a glimpse for you and a reminder. Our discipleship pathway is to connect with God and, and with others in our weekend services. If you're online with us or you're here in person and you don't make a connection with God or with somebody else... I want to invite you to come back and try again next week, and then after the third week, to consider maybe you need to go somewhere else. Whoa. What kind of pastor does that? The kind of pastor that believes to his core that theologically and scripturally, we are designed for a connection with God and with others, and that there's more than one church And that if you think that just coming in in isolation and taking it in and not connecting with God, not connecting with others, just going through a religious routine is enough, I want to tell you, God has more for you. And my heart would be that you find that here, and if you can't find it here, that you find it somewhere else. Because God's church is bigger 
And he's that good. Secondly is grow with God and with others in discipleship relationships. That, that we would be in classes and life groups and mentoring relationships with God and with each other, growing with him. And then because of that, that we then take those gifts God has given us and we serve. Say serve. serve. We need a church that is willing to serve, not just here, but in our community. Do you know how many doors will open to, to Christ's church if we will serve and love others unabashedly? It will change our community. And so we believe that God wants us to serve with our gifts, with him and with others. If you're ready to connect and be a part of that, we just want to encourage you. You can sign up online or uh, just go to pathwayvb.com slash hello. Just say, I need to get plugged in. I need to get connected. I need to get in a group. I need to somehow make myself known. I want to discover my gifts. By the way, we have a spiritual gifts workshop coming in September. I cannot wait. I hope it's standing room only. Filled with people learning what their gifts are and, and beginning to walk in them. Amen? So the last thing I want to share with you today, as we look at verses 13 through 16, it, it really comes from this idea, if, if God is, call, is Lord and if he's giving us all gifts, what does it then mean to grow up? And, and I'm of the generation that grew up with Disney and Peter Pan, and, and, and let me just read to you the great philosopher Peter Pan, all right? Here, here's what Peter Pan said, because some of us were affected by this idea, Okay. Forget them all, come with me where you'll never, never have to worry about grown-up things again. Wouldn't that be nice? Anyone else heard like, oh yeah, I'm adulting today. Like, what is that, right? Like, no, we're, we're all called to grow up and look at how Paul describes it here and what it means to grow up. And this is where we're going to finish today, verses 13 through 16. Uh, it's, he says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, say mature, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That word's not to be intimidated by, it, it means teaching, it's a body of teaching, doctrine, it's very important. And he's saying that, listen, there's other doctrines that will emerge, other teachings. He's saying we don't want to be swayed by that, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in what? Love. In love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Makes the body what? Grow. grow. It's on the screen. So that it builds itself up in love. Growing up to be like Jesus is the goal. This is my last point. This is what Paul is getting at. That listen, Jesus is Lord. I've given you gifts. The goal of those gifts is to grow up to be like Jesus. That his body would be mature. And there's some things that are talked about here in regards to to maturity. In verse 13, it talks about the unity of faith and this knowledge, this mature manhood. It actually says the word measure. And, and the word measure is used in verse 7 and 13. And, and I want to lay out for you kind of what this means for us to be mature. 
because maturity is measured not by comparing to one another, but by comparing to Jesus. You see, in verse 7 and 13, when the word measure is used, it's the word metron, and it's a word that is like weighing or scales or comparing. And I don't know about you, but we live in a day and age when there's a lot of measuring being done, isn't there? I mean, we're measuring ourselves against each other in social media. We're measuring ourselves based on a scale, based on maybe what we see. And and often what happens is we are looking at the person next to us and being like, well, I'm better than they are. And somehow that builds us up and makes us feel better about ourselves. When we aren't supposed to be comparing to others, we're supposed to be comparing only to Jesus. He's the measure of our maturity. The second thing, if we can put these four points up, team, uh, maturity is measured in comparison to Jesus. Secondly, maturity doesn't conform to culture. Oh boy. We live in a day and age that is filled with new teaching and schemes to try to get us off track. And part of what Paul is getting at here is that we would pay attention, that we wouldn't be swayed, that we wouldn't be immature, that we would be stable and would stand in the truth. When he says in there that we wouldn't be like children or we wouldn't be like a boat that is rocking in the storm, he actually uses the word schemes that actually would implicate in the original language throwing dice, gambling, that we wouldn't be caught up in these things around us and swayed, but we would stand in the truth. And notice he says, in love. That there's this combination of how we stand for truth that we don't conform to the culture around us and its new teachings and ways, but we get back to the measure of maturity and we say, what did Jesus teach? What does the Bible say? And those are the things that we're going to stand in together as his church. Amen? Amen. We don't conform to culture. We conform to Christ. And we take that message into culture. And we do it with love. And that's often the missing component, is, is speaking the truth. Maturity, he says, speaks and receives the truth in love. Now, this is so important because if we're going to be a church and a people, according to what Paul says, that speaks the truth in love, that means some of us have to receive it. Anybody else just like to speak it? It's humbling at times to be corrected, to have somebody else speak truth in love to us. But if the body of Christ is going to be free to speak truth and love to one another so we can grow into Jesus, that means there'll be moments where you need to love someone enough to tell them the truth. You know what I've learned in the South? I'm from Michigan, if you didn't know that. Oh boy, I just feel like I just, uh, what did you learn in the South? (laughs) Huh, Mr. Michigan? (laughs) Y'all are so nice. So loving, so kind, that sometimes you don't always say what needs to be said. That sometimes you know what's best and you know the truth 
And all I'm saying is if we love each other enough to care about God's growth and maturity in us, we will speak the truth even when it's hard. We'll say it in love and we'll be willing to receive it from each other and grow. Lastly, maturity does its part to build up the body in love. Maturity does its part. Maturity says, I've been given gifts. I believe Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to use these to help build up the body of Christ. And so as you think about truth and love, as you think about doing your part, using your story and what God has done in you, I came across a story that this would have been late 70s, early 80s. Former president's wife, Betty Ford, Betty Ford, many of you know her for the clinics, the Betty Ford clinics that are all over the country, that, that have an ability to help people in crisis and addiction. Do you know what happened in Betty Ford's story? Shortly after, some of you may remember this, the presidency, her family had an intervention. They spoke the truth in love. They helped her. Her son actually was the one that actually said some of the hardest things to her, that, that you're an addict, you have an alcoholism issue and a pain prescription addiction. And in that, her response was, well, who are you to say that? And his response was essentially, mom, I love you and truth is truth. I have to share the truth. That truth in love led to her breakthrough. That breakthrough led to her saying, now because this has happened to me, I'm going to own my story. I'm going to show what has happened. And now I'm going to make a difference and help others. God wants to reconnect us to him and to one another so he can work through even the broken places in our story. That the truth in love isn't something to hide from or be ashamed of or try to cower from like they were in Genesis 3. He's saying, no, come into the light. Come into the light. Speak the truth in love. Grow together. I have so much more for you. And I got to tell you, when I think about what could that mean for a church-like pathway, can you imagine our future? Can you imagine what God would do if we put Jesus in the center and we begin maturing and growing in him and using our gifts? Y'all, that's exciting to think about the plans that God has that he'll inform us of as we follow him and play our part. So today is an invitation to be a participant, to be a participant in what God has, to grow up into all that he has for us. Three questions to close, next steps. The first is, have you surrendered to Jesus as Lord? The difference in that picture I showed you earlier of the kid 25 years ago and the man you see today is a year after that picture, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Surrender is the starting point for real growth. Secondly, are you serving with the gifts God has given you? Are you serving with the gifts God has given you and making a difference? If not, it's time. Buckle up. God has given you gifts. And thirdly, are you growing to be like, is growing to be like Jesus your goal in life and for pathway? Some of you may have a plan for your life, maybe even some plans for pathway. My plan for Pathway as your lead pastor is that we would grow and mature and be more like Jesus called us to be. 
going to pray us into responding. And part of the response today is the reminder through the celebration of communion, of receiving communion, of who Jesus is, of what he's done for us. That when we receive communion, we're also reminded that we're receiving and a part of the body of Christ. Let me pray and then I'll uh, set up communion. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, for just the reality of your love and that you want to grow us all up in you. God, as we turn now to the communion table, to these elements that we hold in our hand, whether we're all at home or here in person, Father, we are so thankful that Jesus, you descended, took the cross, that your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we could be reconnected to you and to one another. Father, we pray today as we receive communion that we would examine our hearts, that we would confess any sin that we need to, and that as we repent and follow you, you would pour out your spirit. Father, turn on the power in our gifts. Turn on the light that we could see clearly where you're leading next. Grow us up in you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So in front of you, if you're here in person, you're holding hopefully the communion elements. If you don't have them, just get your hand up and our ushers will bring them around. The wafer that is there, the small cracker, symbolizes Jesus' body and the juice, his blood. In Luke 22, verse 19 through 20, it says this, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As you receive communion during this next song, take your time, pray. If you need somebody to pray for you, you can come forward. We have prayer partners that will pray for you at either of the altars. But this is a moment of both remembering what Christ has done, that he's invited you into his body. He wants to grow you up. And as we sing this song, as the Lord leads and as you've received communion, let's celebrate all that he is and that he wants to be magnified in his body. Amen? Let's receive communion and worship him together.
Father, we love you and praise you. And Jesus, we want to grow up in you. So I pray as we leave today that you would be Lord of all, that the gifts you've given us would activate, that you would use the people that are here and online in mighty ways this week to speak the truth in love that so in the middle of this culture, in this time we live in, we could be your church a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of life, and life abundantly. God, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your word. And as we walk with you, may we love you and love all people in our pathway this week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen Amen and amen. Uh, Hey, if you're a visitor, come out to our Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. Stop by the cafe and connect with somebody. And if you need prayer, come forward. We would love to pray with you. Have a great day. Go now and be the church.